0: we stay
1: together we survive
2: survive. what we've got here is failure to communicate stick together.
1: stick
0: together in the name of unit cohesion
3: you are listening to the cohesion podcast actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience This episode features a roundtable discussion with internal communications thought leaders at Simpler. Carolyn Clark, Vice President of Employee Experience Strategy and Transformation, Julie Miller, Senior Internal Communications Specialist, and Paralee Johnson, Senior Manager of Community and Content. In this episode, Carolyn, Julie, and Paralee discuss how they want internal comms to be perceived, learning from their mistakes, and trends they're looking forward to in 2023. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor.
2: This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at Simpler.com. That's s i m p p l r dot com.
3: Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Carolyn Clark, Julie Miller, Harley Johnson, and your host Amanda Barry, corporate brand and communications manager at Simpler.
1: Well, happy new year and welcome. Today we have something new for the Cohesion Podcast. I have with me a panel of IC professionals who are here to help us say goodbye to 2022 and welcome in the new year. First, let me tell you who I have today. I'm going to start with Carolyn Clark. Carolyn, welcome back. Thank you. You're the first person I've had on the show twice now. Ooh, that's exciting! Yes, well, I'll we'll send you a, a medal uh, that says "my second <laughs> appearance."
0: <laughs> second appearance medal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk 2022, 2023. Yeah, we got a lot of good conversations ahead. So, thank you for being here. Yeah. Next, I want to welcome Julie Miller. Julie, welcome. I'm so glad you can join us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. Looking forward to talking with you about a bunch of IC related topics. And finally, last but not least, I want to welcome Parley Johnson. Welcome, Parley. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing all well. Thanks for asking. I want to start off and just so the listeners can understand a little bit about each of your backgrounds. So let's just go around and tell a little about your career journey and your role. Caroline, let's start with you. Cool. And I think
0: we talked a good bit about my career on that last podcast. So if you haven't heard it, go back to that one. But I've spent my career in comms, started as broadcast news producer, and then moved into comms, external comms for a long period of time at various places. And then since I think... About ten years, I've run internal comms. I ran internal comms at Yahoo, at GoDaddy, at Open Door. I was an interim at Pandora, so been been a lot of places. And now I am part of the simpler team, and I get to every day come in and talk about what all of us IC people and EX practitioners are thinking about. And I get to kind of advise the product team and the sales team. So that's my current gig. But real IC person at heart.
1: Great, thanks, Karen. Again, thank you so much for being here today. Julie, let's move on to you. Talk a little about your background and your current role. I don't
4: actually think my background makes a lot of sense for anything, but somehow it kind of made its way to internal comms and it was the perfect skill set. I have a BFA in film post production. So I was a video editor and producer for a really long time. I worked for Disney. I made a lot of documentaries. So I have a, a really rich background in storytelling and graphic design and then collaborative work. And I kind of evolved from there. I have like a natural entrepreneurial spirit. So I've worked with a lot of small startups and learned how things worked and how entrepreneurs and business owners really think about things. And from a grander perspective, I was an executive assistant for a really long time and then a chief of staff. And from there, I transitioned into commercial communication. So making sure that sales teams had what they need. And it was a really natural transition into internal comms where it feels like I just get to do all of my hobbies all the time. And now I am Simpler's first dedicated internal comms specialist. I'm not the first one to do the job. Amanda, you did it before me, but you split your role between so many different things. So it's a lot of fun to get to spend my time with experts like you ladies all the time.
1: Yeah, it's nice working kind of in the epicenter of internal comms and doing internal comms. It's, it's a dream job I never knew I, I wanted, but now you're, you're killing it in that. You know, and it's funny because I feel like when I get to talk to a lot of IC leaders and, and maybe you all have this, the same experience, almost nobody has that traditional comms the whole way. It always starts and, and just evolves and you end up in internal comms and then people generally stay there. So I guess there's a lot about the, the, the profession. Apparently, tell us a little bit about yourself and in your current role. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I'm so excited to be here with you guys having this conversation
5: because probably one of the best parts of internal comms is is really feeling at home with your people and to be able to sit here with our team together and just have a conversation about what we love is is such a, a dream and a gift. So thank you for having me. My role here at Simpler is mostly to build out our community simpler has not had an established community yet and we have such an amazing customer base and such an influence in the world of employee experience and internal comms we have our podcast and our blogs and just some amazing resources for that world at large and so getting to take all of that and build out a strategy and really bring that to life so that people have the opportunity to connect connect and find some solutions to some common problems. The other part of that is really spending time with customers. I spend a lot of time having conversations and really becoming a champion for them, both internally for Simpler, so that you know our entire employee base can really have a better understanding of what a day in the life and, and certain struggles are for the everyday communication professional. And as you mentioned before, I did not start out in comms. I was in project management and somebody said, Hey you, I think you'd be really, really good for internal comms. And that was about 10 years ago. And I've since run internal comms and it's employee experience specifically has been my area of focus, my bread and butter and what I really love doing day in and day out. So yeah. thank you again. I'm excited yeah. to be here.
1: Oh, this is great. It's really great to hear this. Like I said, I think all of us didn't really start in internal comms. You start you had a, like a job at Conan, isn't that right, Carolyn? <laughs> yeah. I worked <laughs> at NBC on a bunch of T V shows. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the beauty of internal comms, right? Like that we get to bring all these past experiences together and you use it. I mean, I think we all talk about in our day-to-day life, like our ideas are coming from other places. We just get the title of communications and employee experience, but everything's coming from lots of different places, which is, we're lucky, I think. Yeah, it gives us a whole different
1: perspective. I'm excited apparently to see how internal comms and community building, sort of the parallels, the the differences, definitely want to have more conversations with you about that in the future, but it's, it's very exciting.
5: Definitely. And I think there's a lot of parallels to the employee experience as well as the customer experience and then how that bridges within community in both worlds. So really excited to dive into that.
1: Great. Well, thank you all again for being here. I can't say that enough. For our discussion today, I want to peek into your playbooks or your journals, whichever one you keep, and get your expertise around the the work and the role that internal communications plays at an organization. So I want to start with how IC is currently viewed within organizations, and then how do you wish that perception would change for leaders and stakeholders? Julie, let's start with you. I would say we're kind of in a place where things are changing pretty quickly. I
4: think in the past, it's really easy to to say that maybe the role was always seen as a tool. And as you know, the future of a digital first hybrid work environment really starts to take hold. And what we do every day, we're really seen as like a partner, what we do and what we can offer to an organization is really being valued in like a new and exciting way. And it's a lot of fun to not just like do the work I really enjoy doing, but to like, see people understand it and feel the value of it and want to like, encourage me to do a lot more. I think this is changing really fast. And it's
1: kind of a really, maybe the most exciting time to be in this industry. Yeah, I feel as if, you know, it, that's a theme that comes up a lot, especially over the past two years with, or three years now, boy, with COVID and just the way internal comms had to really like, not even just step up because we have been stepping up. We are, we are stepped up, but had to really jump in and help leaders navigate through that has really made a difference. Kellen, what do you think? You see a broad view. You've worked with a lot of big companies. What is your thoughts on how leaders perceive internal comms? I think, right, I think what what you're talking about, which is the last three years,
0: absolutely, there has been an increased focus and understanding, maybe even appreciation for what we do. I still think, and what I'd like to see us do more as a function is really being able to prove our value with data. And I think that is a, growing space, right? I mean, I think many people, we talk to customers sometimes who don't even track their metrics and because they don't have access, but really being able to ladder up the work that we do, the tactical work that We do as internal communicators, laddering that up to the business goals and really showing the impact that our work has on revenue, on attrition, on or or retention, on all of those things. I think that is going to be more and more critical to keeping the appreciation and the attention on employee experience. Because when we can do that, we become a strategic advantage to the company. And if we're not seen as a strategic advantage, then we are seen just as a tool or a support. And I really want us to be seen collectively, right, as a function across all organizations, as a strategic advantage to the company. So I think there's still a good bit of work to do there, starting with getting the right data so that you can talk about it the right way.
1: I want to fly a big flag that says leaders get data. They will respond to data. They're driven by data. Can you just expand on that just a little bit? Where do you start when you want to start showing value with data?
0: One, I mean, I think most people need to start with actually seeing what they have access to. So starting with the baseline of what do you have access to? And yes, there's a million things you may want access to that you can't get just yet. But what do you have access to? What does that data mean? So doing some analysis, right? Or asking for support. At a lot of organizations, there are some data people. Borrow their time. Like go to your little friend who is a data analyst and just say, I need an hour of your time, look at this data with me so that I can understand it. So I think the first thing I would say is borrow, borrow resources and use the data that you have knowing that you want more, but what does it mean looking at something as simple as a click rate, really analyzing what does that mean so that then you can adjust your strategy to fit that, so that it's base level. It's seeing what you've got, finding a friend, calling a friend in the company to help you analyze it, and then taking actions from it.
4: Carolyn, how do you find out what data you have access to to begin with? If data is new to you, who do you who's the friend you need to make to, to get that first piece of data?
0: Well, first of all, those IT people should be your besties, especially because if you're at an organization that doesn't have an intranet, for example, then you need to be looking at the data that's coming in from maybe from a collaboration tool or a chat tool or from email. And usually if you don't have access to that, that's another, phone a friend, talk to IT and say, hey, how how do I see any of the, let me just see what the options are out there. So that's what I would say first. If you have an intranet, again, you should and we need to start demanding that your internet gives you the data you need and it is not just views it's not just who's opening things so i think we have a the ability to put a stake in the ground and say no i need more from from this tool in terms of st- like strategic data and we need to start asking for it. You better believe the marketing teams in your organization, the CX teams are asking for data and getting access. So I think we need to be able to start by seeing what we've got and asking friends, asking IT, asking your partners who run your intranet, all of those good things.
1: Yeah, I just had a good conversation with someone about this. Gosh, just last week, right? The idea of open rates and page views, right? You can, you can just measure if people are opening. I'm, I'm a big... I'm a person who opens emails just to get rid of them. So I I mess up data for people, but are they really even understanding what they're reading and then are they acting right? We're missing a lot of good data.
5: I'd also pile on to that, that as you're looking at data, a really good starting point is asking yourself, asking your team and your leaders, what does success look like? Because often as you, you find yourself you know talking with teams or in our experience alone, it's sometimes difficult to, everybody's got a different idea of what the success should look like. And so when you're looking at all this data, is it actually measuring the thing that you want the audiences to have? Is it, is it search? Is it sentiment? Is it connection? Is it engagement in certain aspects? And so really asking your team to look at that and then make sure you're looking for the right types of data in different points so that you can capture what it is you're actually looking to accomplish.
1: So, so follow up that really like, so you said everyone has a different idea of success. So how do you get everyone on the same page to come up with the same idea of what success looks like?
5: That's a great question
1: and challenging at times.
5: So I think first of all, it comes asking the question because when you ask the question and you get curious, that curiosity opens Pandora's box typically, right? So then you actually find out the truth that you've got five departments thinking that success looks like five different things. And what that tells you is we've got to go back to the drawing board and get everybody together. So it actually begins with asking the question, right? Because that gives you the information you need to, to know to see are we even in the ballpark of what we're looking for. So and I think that goes back to the question that you asked, Carolyn and Julie, about what is IC seen as? And I think often we're seen as sometimes order takers. Hey, go go do this thing. When in reality we are strategic advisors and strategic business partners because the, you know, the the answers to questions and different tasks that they're asking for often have you know, if you take a step back, which is what we typically ask stakeholders to do, it's like, let's take a pause and ask, is this accomplishing what it is we're 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 looking to accomplish? So it kind of goes back to that same, you know, what does success look like for a campaign for an ask of your employees? So yeah, I think, and sometimes we're seen as gatekeepers. That's another thing I would say that we're seen as because we we ask the hard questions that allow us to to take that step back. And so building those relationships and being able to be seen as those advisors and strategic business partners, I think are super, super important to having a successful internal comms team.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to get everyone on the same page sometimes. But when you build those relationships, right? Yeah. A lot of this is really based in building relationships, right? And creating understanding, onboarding your stakeholders, bringing them along, let them know what you do and how you do it well, to how you can help them and the organization. I know we've talked a lot about this. And Julie, I'll look at you about, you know, onboarding your stakeholders. What's important? What do you do to to onboard stakeholders? (laughs) It's a lot of expectation setting. So
4: just like Paraly said, like, this is what we do and what we don't do. And like drawing that line, like first and foremost, it's something you can always like a tangible document you can point back to say, like, we talked about this. We agreed upon it. Like, I would love to, to help you reach your goals, but I do not do these things is my number one because they will always, I mean, this is human nature. Everyone's going to try to get like a little extra out of you. It's like just the way we all like get business done, but being able to have something that you've, you've talked about, like openly and honestly written it down that you can go back to and say like, but we agreed on this. Like, I would love to help you. It's not personal. This is business. I have to protect my time is like a number one thing. And then again, like leaning on what Pearlie said, like understanding what success looks like for everybody. And I find that everybody's version of success is pretty similar, but the vocabulary they use is so different. You know, the way your HR partners are going to look at engagement rates and like click through is very different than your marketing partners because they're going to, you know, they're coming at it from a different perspective. So understanding their vocabulary and maybe not even asking them to change it, maybe adjusting the way you speak to them is like a really big part and just like getting people comfortable with the idea. I think the other thing too is it's easy for people to feel like boundaries are really fuzzy when it comes to internal comms. I can do that. Why can't I do that? You should do that. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't need to put every piece of information on the internet. I want to empower you to do it kind of thing. And, and, and like creating that place where we're speaking the same language, we understand each other, we're friends, and we can have those conversations without it being like, too imposing, maybe, or too serious. I think, I mean, for me, that's how I do it. That's a good starting point. Carolyn taught me how to onboard stakeholders. So like, she's definitely the expert.
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. I, I will say the one, my favorite thing about stakeholders is really making them talk to each other, especially it comes down to when we're talking about prioritization, which ultimately is where a lot of the conflicts arise with your stakeholders is they say, my thing is the most important thing. And then you meet with somebody an hour later, and they say, my thing is the most important thing. And rather than, you know, as, as Paralee talks about this gatekeeper, rather than having to feel like you are the traffic cop, putting them in a room together and saying, hey, you said your thing's the most important thing and you said your thing's the most important thing. Talk about it together and facilitating. I mean, I think we often become facilitators as well with different departments because there's usually one or two of us, right? In an organization and a ton of other people. So really getting them talking to each other is another great part of just, kind of getting making decisions and getting your stakeholders on the same page with what the goals for communicating and experience are so
4: it's funny you say that I have always
1: joked that a third of our job is therapy and that's exactly <laughs> what it looks like to me like how correct. are you feeling about this <laughs> yeah and sort of walking through things you mm-hmm. know thoughtfully and and with mind of empathy and and care bringing
4: and people concern. together yeah
1: yes, <laughs> yes. it's not always easy I've yeah it's not always easy so I want to I want to move on to something that's also not easy. Speaking of not easy, right? I I feel like I, this is a safe space. We all know each other really well, and so I want to create a, a safe space for other people to think about mistakes that they make in this role. We have a, we have public kind of public roles within an internal space, right? We're writing things, we're creating videos, and we're human at the same time. So mistakes are going what? to be made. I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, somebody, right? doubt somebody that. <laughs> but we're going to make mistakes, you know. And this is a great time of year to to reflect on things. You know, you may have made mistakes or something that didn't go well. And I want—I would love for each of you to talk about maybe a mistake you made and how you picked yourself up and what did you, what did you learn from it. And and I'll go first, just just in the, the same the the spirit of sharing. I when I started my career, I was in external comms and I worked with the UW System here in Wisconsin. And this is back oh I'm dating myself here. When you could tweet from your from like your text messages. You didn't have to go to the app, like you could send a tweet. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you all have done it where you send a text meant for this person to this person and you're like, oh no, oh no. Well, I did that. I I, I opened up my phone, I was texting a friend, and then I, hit, I actually went in the, the Twitter version of my text and I texted, I tweeted out from the UW System account, can't wait to hang later. I got to go for a run after work, then I'm going to grab some dinner. And as I, I was hitting send, I was getting on the air the elevator where you get no service. So I can't go in and just delete it quickly. So I'm like 15 floors going down. And then, but then there's no like, there's no reception in the building. My boss is upstairs. So I get back on the elevator. I'm like 15, 15, 15, get back up there. And I could hear him laughing from his office. Like four (laughs) people had already reached out. We're talking a minute, like two minutes max, five people had already reached out to him. And I, I was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's, he thought it was very funny. So what I learned from that is how to deal with mistakes that everything has to be like you know end of end of your career you're gonna make mistakes but the people you surround yourself with and how they deal with mistakes really is going to impact how you deal with mistakes so I think that's super important so I would love to hear now that I've shared my mistake I mean that's one that just it's burned into my brain but now I'd love to hear from you all so apparently let's start with you would you feel comfortable sharing a mistake and what you learned from it?
5: Sure. I mean, I've I've got a whole vault full of mistakes <laughs> that I've made over I my career that. for sure. But I think this this I th- this plays into a, a lot of lessons. I, this particular one, you know, as internal communicators, we often are doing things on behalf of. You know, leaders in a company. And so there's a lot of pressure to get it right, to make sure that you capture voice, making sure everything's perfect, because when it delivers to an inbox, often it doesn't have my name on it, it has someone else's name. And I had a particular stakeholder that w- w- it was really important to this person that it, it be perfect. And tremendous amount of testing Carolyn's nodding her head, but she's heard this story, but I tested and retested to make sure that as it delivered, it's going to be perfect. Well, lo and behold, one did not land perfect. And it was a matter of operating systems and how it, whether it was mobile or desktop. And there was an extra space in the lines of the emails. And this particular person was very, very upset over this because it it was felt that they weren't viewed as like you know everything was perfect in this email delivery and it was important to them newer ish to the organization that it, it looked perfect and so it's one of those things where I had to go back and say I'm human I tested as many options as I could and and really understand that that's gonna happen sometimes even when you try your very best and sometimes it's humorous like if it's a mistake that you know you just can't fix or you forgot something then you just make humor out of it and kind of laugh at yourself but this was one where i just simply couldn't fix it it was delivered it was a spacing issue and it had to come down to like an honest conversation with this particular stakeholder that i you know i apologized and and we made room for repair and just honest and open and and it also opens us up to remembering how do you check for all of these things to make sure that you can you know, account for as much as possible and and leave as little room for error as you can.
1: Yeah, um, especially but, when you're a team you know, of one or, or two, you know, yeah, and yeah. you need that set of eyes to check stuff like that, but you may not have it. And and I I'm, I don't know the science by enough. There has to be something where when you look at your own stuff over and over yeah. and over, those start to sort of camouflage. Mistakes can camouflage themselves. Yeah, my hands are sweating.
0: Yeah. And I think that I do want to point before Julie and I talk about mistakes, I do want to point this out because I think it is, really important. We all care so deeply. And I think almost every HR communications person and internal comms person I've ever met care so deeply about the craft that mistakes seem awful. Monumental. They really, yes. really feel yeah. painful. And and so, like, just even hearing the story from you, yeah. Amanda, and you purely makes me anxious. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I do want to say, though, like, How lucky these organizations are that they have such deeply caring people that we are worried about in misplaced space. I mean, that is incredible. (laughs) And I think that speaks to, again, the experience we want our stakeholders to have and the experience we want the employees to have at the end of the day. I've made so many mistakes over my career, external and internal. I won't talk about an external one because it's so embarrassing. I just can't even talk about it. So here's here's the big mistake I made in internal comms. And it was when I was, I'd been, in, I'd been doing it a long time. It's not like I was new into the role. And using a tool where, just as Paralee said, was sending on behalf of someone else. I was sending a really important message on behalf of our CFO at the time. This was a huge company. It was a really big deal. It was a really important message. And one of the things, and by the way, you know, for all of those who are listening that have the, an impact on product, there are flaws in product, right? And so, you know, plug for simpler, which is why we're here. We're here to fix some of these, but we were working with a tool that was not simpler. And I sent an email to 15,000 people signed from our CFO from my email. And so came in there like, and it, was mortifying. And I was basically like, end of the world. I am I have to quit now. I will never <laughs> be seen the same. And do you know what happened? And this just speaks to amazing leaders. The CFO at the time sent a message to the entire company back that basically said, didn't you all always know Carolyn was in charge? And I'm telling you that piece of grace that that CFO gave me, it makes me want to cry because I would have beat myself up for weeks. And for him to say, like, basically what he was saying there is mistakes happen. It is not a big deal. The message is still the same. It's still important. It makes me like choked up because those are the kind of leaders that I want to work for. And it turned out okay. So, but awful.
1: Yeah. (laughs) When you said said 15,000, I felt my heart sank.
0: Uh (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, (laughs) Everybody knew I don't know anything about finance. So anyway, that was my mistake. And I I, I learned to be a little more calm after that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if we do beat ourselves up. I don't know any internal comms person who doesn't. And and just watching Julie's reaction over there, she's, she's oh. been
3: feeling
1: it. So, so let's move on to Julie and find out what her mistake is. Um, okay. I mean... So,
4: I thought about this, like for a couple of days, like which of these so many would be a funny story. (laughs) And I think the best I could say is that it's not just one mistake. I am the most human of all human beings. I am far from perfect. And I make a mistake, a very public mistake every day of my professional life. I mispronounce words. I get so excited. My mouth runs away with me. I am really not great. If we're going to be honest, this is a safe space. I'm not a good speller. It's not my like 4K. <laughs> Grammarly saves my life, but it doesn't catch everything. Uh, you know, technical disruptions, like we talked about, like a problem with a product or like a glitch or how many times has my computer crashed in the middle of a town hall? Like these things happen to me every day. So the one thing I do is try really hard to focus on not repeating the same mistake because to me, there's nothing more boring than being repetitive. <laughs> so at least it's a different <laughs> mistake every day. And then... I really focus on owning my humanity. I am just a person and this is, it's a job. And I do, I take it very seriously and I am really passionate about it, but I'm far from perfect. So I, you know, I, look to Carolyn to calm me down when I I don't remember that, when I'm just like, no, I've done this and everyone will see it. And oh, it's the only thing everyone will remember. But I don't remember what happened, you know, what funny thing my coworker did yesterday. So people just aren't going to remember it. And it kind of gives your organization the grace to also be human. You know, when your leader stands up for you and says, Carolyn's always been in charge, or when, you know, no one says anything, when they're like, yeah, it's, super not July, Julie, but it's obvious you copy and pasted this email from somewhere else. Welcome to November. You know, it gives everybody the opportunity to, to see me fall on my sword and it makes it easier for everyone. At least that's what I tell myself every day. I don't know if it's the truth,
1: but yeah, I couldn't come up with a single mistake. I just
4: wanted to fess up to all my mistakes.
1: I feel like a a big theme coming out of this is how we deal with them and is sort of connected to how the people around us deal with them. I've worked in really very formal organizations where you write formally, everything's formal, done perfectly, kind of like, you, you know, your example, apparently. And then I've worked in places that are a bit more sort of casual and let's just get it out. And, you know, people don't pay attention to mistakes. If if a title's too long, nobody cares. I don't know. I, I, well, I'd love to hear your perspectives on that. Like Caroline said, we are people who care about our craft. Like it means the world to us to do it perfectly every time. But that's not possible, as Julie's pointed out. (laughs) I think
5: it's kind of a different take on this, but I think it's really important specifically for folks in our role. I didn't necessarily make a mistake, but I was in a meeting and I was quiet. And and my stakeholders that know I I ask a lot of questions. I, I dig in, I'm very passionate, I'm curious. And This particular leader sent me a message after and said, hey, can you hop on Zoom real quick? So I hopped on. He's like, I want you to know that I noticed you were really quiet today. He's like, please don't ever be afraid of speaking up. What you have to say always makes such a big difference in every project we have. And to to speak to the people around us that it's how they react that was the definition of such a phenomenal leader to me that he recognized that it was out of character for me to be quiet because sometimes you get into a place where certain projects or things you're worn down you tried your best to speak up and and it's just kind of they're taking their own path regardless of you know input which is is their decision right but often the things that we bring to the table and the things that the the considerations that we ask them to have are important to to the conversation. And that was phenomenal because it, it it just, you know, reminded me that my confidence and just don't give up and, and and speak up and use your voice because that's such an important part of being an internal communicator and adding value to the organization.
1: let, let me follow up with that. I want to ask to each of you, how do you find that voice? We have people who listen to this podcast who are probably VPs and they have more of an agency. They have a platform for voice. We have people who might be um, first internal comms in their career, first role in their career. And when you're supporting C-suite leaders, you feel intimidation. You feel as if you shouldn't speak up. You know, maybe there are other ways you can try to, to make change, but you you might be scared. How do you find that voice starting from day one in your career?
0: I have two things that I think I would say I think I've given this advice before which is it's so simple there're two things one be prepared I mean even even if you know if you have a meeting on your calendar to talk about a project Be prepared. Do everything you can to understand what your role in that room is. Look at who's in the room. Even if the highest level person and you're the lowest level is in that room, prepare yourself. I'm a huge mantra person. I write myself mantras to get myself in the mood. Get you some of that. (laughs) Write down those feelings like, I'm here for a reason. I have a job to do. This is the role I'm playing in this meeting. And this is the voice that I'm going to have. And I think really being present, you know, that's part of preparation. But in any room that you're walking into, really being present in that room, leaving the, you know, the misconceptions or the imposter syndrome behind, come into that room prepared, knowing your role. And knowing what you need to do and ask to get the job done and not being afraid to do that. Because the second you walk out of that room and have not gotten what you need, you're going to lose some credibility because you're going to have to have that conversation again. So that's kind of my advice on that. It's just preparation and get your head right. Get your head right before you get in there.
4: I would say it's a kind of a a follow-up to that is trust your instincts. You know, we are a passionate group of people and we pull inspiration and knowledge from a wide variety of places. And the worst case scenario is that your instinct is like maybe a little off base. Does it hurt? to trust yourself and to speak with confidence in what you know you're talking about. I think coming at it from that perspective is, it was the thing I struggled with, maybe still do, and and trusting myself in my own knowledge base and understanding that I may not be the world's most, you know, foremost expert, but I am good at what I do. And I... I understand the tools available and the way that things will be taken in a way that other people don't because that's my job, not theirs. Even if you're the lowest person on the totem pole there, you're probably the only one who does what you do in that room. And there's something really valuable about it. The fact that you were in the room means that they value what
5: you bring to the table. So really just own it. Yeah, and to that point, I I think it's uh, also just remembering what that leader told me, right? What you have to say matters and we value it. So I think sometimes, you know, the, to speak to the imposter syndrome, we question ourselves far more than the other people in the room questioning it because, um, and to Julie's point, we're there for a reason, right? And so it's just really important to remember that and and to just acknowledge it to yourself. Because I think we beat ourselves up of like, we should feel super confident. We should feel, you know, safe and secure. But the reality is we don't always feel that. And just sometimes acknowledging it to ourselves that it's okay to have that humanity present just brings down the anxiety or the worry a little bit. And, you know, often what we bring up or what we add value to is is what a lot of other people are thinking and they're holding back. And so we have to take the lead in that often, because the ramifications of not having those conversations or asking those questions or speaking up can be really, really impactful to the audiences that we serve. And I always like to say that, you know, my seat at the table, if you will, is in proxy for the audiences that I'm there to represent, because they don't necessarily have a voice in the room. And so I, I try to be that for them, because when you're in a room of stakeholders working towards a, a goal or a you know a, a program or a product release or or something like that, you, they're not necessarily thinking about how it impacts the the employee base as a whole or certain audiences, and so you get to keep that reminder in there as they make the the decisions around the business. So. Whew.
4: I know. Preach, yeah. preach, sister.
1: Oh, yeah, so good. Yeah. Yes. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I need to take a break or something after the i, I like, I'm a little <laughs> emotional. Hey good guys. Job Here. <laughs> I think that, that is such an amazing thing. Apparently, The way to think about your seat at the table. Is you're not there just for you. You're there to represent the fifteen thousand or the three thousand or the four hundred people that are in that organization, company. Incredible.
5: Or the four people. I mean, size at the end of the day doesn't matter if it's, if it's impacting even a, a small group. It's just so important to, to represent them in everything that we do because that can get lost when you're having big conversations with a big group of people too.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, it was super good. I want to switch <laughs> gears just a little because as I'm sitting here thinking about sitting at the table with leaders from all departments, I'm curious as as you work with leaders from all these different departments or, or just employees or, or whoever you're working with, I'm trying to, I want to know what you all think that internal comms can learn from those teams. What what inspiration can we draw and, and really take out of that? And I'll go first to give you all a second to think about this. I've worked with IT a lot in organizations. And that, you know, IT can get really complicated, even the simplest thing like you know, install your updates on your Mac tonight, right? Because you're you're casting out such a wide net on who's going to get those emails. So being really clear, really specific, really visual, using videos like for me, working with IT helped me really rethink about how to talk to employees. I came from an academic background, which is a bit more academic, you know, (laughs) lots of language, very long, lots of information explaining why and giving research. So then to to work with IT and realize like, get to the point, what do you need them to do? Be clear, help bring them along, tell the story right, give good visuals and they will they will they will be successful. So that was such a nice transition of some inspiration I pulled from it. But I'm wondering what all, what all your experiences are: marketing, or customer experience. How do you work with them, and what have you pulled from them, Carolyn? Let's start with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there is so much to learn from marketing and CX. What I love to do is I like to look at who gets the money in an organization and think why are they getting the money? And the reason that they are getting the budget they need is because they are able to prove the value of the work they do. And so some of the biggest things that I've learned from both from CX and marketing is really how to how to talk about the work you're doing. I always joke that we're all doing comms for comms, right? We're many many internal comms people are not great at really advocating for the work they do or bragging, frankly, about the work they do. And when what happens is if you're doing it behind the curtain, which most of us like to be behind the curtain, but if you are not letting your leaders peek back there and see the value you're providing, which marketing is very, very good at, then you're missing out. It's why you're not getting the budget you need. It's why you're not getting the place maybe that you need. And so for marketing, I've just really learned, right, like the value of proving value, the value of data, and the value of mixing up your assets, creative, Testing, trying new things. So there's so much to learn. But I would start with who's getting the budget you want, and how do you how do you use the tactics they're using to get that to get something comparable for your function in an organization.
1: How, how many here? I'm, I'm raising my hand. How many here are not good at bragging about what they do? <laughs> I feel like I struggle with that personally, Carolyn. And so you all know Carolyn is my boss and she's so probably gonna attest to that <laughs> being a true statement. How do you do that? I mean, because as you know, you talked about your CFO writing writing content for them. It goes under his or her name or their name. How do you get better at that? Because I feel like we're always moving so fast and to the next thing. And as long as it we get good, you know, data metrics. Talk about how that looks, that people can start jumping in and leaning into that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, bragging is such a negative word. I, I'm the one that used it, but I think it is such a—it has a negative connotation to it. And so, I don't know what the word you want to use is, but if again, if you are doing something and nobody is seeing it or understanding it, yes, maybe it's having the impact you want it to have, and you're just happy about that. But the truth is that you—you've got to document. You've got to document your wins. You've got to document your progress. You've got to document when things don't work well and then you've got to manage it up to the people who need to know and that's really my style i mean you all know this from working with me and parley knows this from working with me for a long time i do not like my value being questioned i'm so afraid of that and some of that is because i love doing really great work and so when somebody questions the value of the work i've done knowing how much i've put into that I immediately just kind of crumble. And what I've learned to do over the years is to document, to really document the value so that when someone says, how did that do? Or why didn't this do better? Rather than saying, I don't know, which I think is the worst answer. I'm saying, well, let me show you this data. I've been Let me tell you why. This is what I think. This is what I see from the data. This is what I know from doing it before. So again, for me, documentation is crucial. And remembering, I mean, I'll also just for all of the managers out there, if you're managing a, a more junior person, and I've done this with many, many people over the years, is I say, write it all down. Because at the end of the year, you are going to be asked to regurgitate your wins and you're going to be asked to prove your value. So Start from the beginning and keep yourself a little note where you are marking all of these things. And when you do that, it makes it much easier to come back to it and to be able to say, look at this impact this function had on the organization. So don't think of it. Think of it as bragging. Don't think of it as bragging. Whatever it is, think of it as advocating for yourself, for your position, and for the people who are going to come after you.
4: At Simpler, we call them performance receipts. What are the receipts of the work that you've done? And you know, keeping a folder for them, just like you would like an expense report is no different. I think the advice I would add on top of that is understand... How the data is presented up the line, and adopt that method. You know, if you want to keep a big list, that's great. But if your boss needs to give something very different—a slide or some charts—you know, do do their homework for them. You know, there's no harm in making the process easy so that that return on investment goes all the way up with no friction at all.
5: Yeah, and I would add on to that. We could do everything possible in our tool belt of tools for comms, and something can still fail in the eyes of stakeholders. And so it's really important not to tie our value to the success of a particular program that we don't necessarily own to the success of the things that we do per se. Because sometimes you can do all of the things in, in your calm playbook. You can throw everything in the world at it. And maybe it's actually not what the audience needed or wanted. And then the the organization or the stakeholders have to go back and reassess, well, what are we actually doing? Was this to check a box? Was this some larger business goal that maybe really wasn't what they needed or wanted? And so I think ditto to all of the things Carolyn and Julie said, but also to remember that when you're looking at you know, channeling up the line, what you, what you've done, because maybe you did do all the right things or everything possible.
0: Good reminder. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's a good reminder.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fairly said, you have great, great wisdom, Fairly. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so yes. Feeling so wise today. Yeah. You're <laughs> very wise today. I love it. I love it. I love it. Just Just want to circle back to my original question about drawing inspiration and also, want to th- also think about that a little differently. What can we teach them? Or what are some big things that we are teaching departments? So I don't know if anyone else, I've just sort of thought about that as you were talking about CX and marketing and what we can pull from them. Is there something, Carolyn, that, that we can bring them along and give them inspiration to, to do something different? Ask it again,
0: Amanda, because that that's a hard one. Like yeah. I, that's a hard question to answer. I so, think I could... Yeah, let, yeah. Go ahead, Perry. You going to answer me? that one.
5: <laughs> well, I think one of the other things that they can learn from us sometimes is the how the employee experience and journey applies in their bucket, right? If we're talking about customer experience, the employee experience mirrors in many ways, a customer journey. If you think about it, they want feedback, just the journey you're in, investment in ROI, right? If you invest in them, invest in you. And if you're giving them the things they need and want, they're going to show up for you. And so they're very similar. And so the learnings that you can share just just by talking about what the journeys look like and the different touch points on that journey between customer experience and employee experience can help you guys like, hey, what are you doing that's maybe working in your world that we might be able to either replicate or or make some adjustments specific to the other experience so i love that in in relation to employee experience and customer experience and you know marketing carolyn did a piece recently on think like a marketer in internal comms and so it goes the same way our marketing teams can learn a lot from how we market internally to our employees and how we think about it through the lens of humanity and what people connect with and the different types and, of content and how they engage. And so it, it's the same, applying very similar principles. Something I love from like an engineering standpoint is how they look at frameworks and how they, you know, approach their work right? Because we're always looking at how we organize because we juggle so many tasks and projects at, at one time and how we organize within a team and make sure that we've got you know a, a good balance of workload across the team. And I think sometimes our engineering and product teams do a really good job of how they approach work in that way. And so there's a lot of lessons and ideas that can be learned both from us to
1: them and them to us. So. Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. It does, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got my brain really, really thinking there about the, the way we talk to these teams about how we focus on the employee. I know I've worked with marketing teams, even getting them to say, "Hey, before you release this, we just we should tell our employees about it. We don't want them to be the last to know, and helping them understand why that is, and the the, the employee experience, the the not great employee experience that can create if they're. They're going live with you a know, new product and we haven't fully vetted our employees and, and let them know what it is. Well, I was
4: gonna out. talk about how I was inspired by my work on the commercial side of things and having the, there are two things that I learned working so closely with sales teams that they use in their sales process that I think we use as internal communicators could really lean in, into a different way. Most like established sales teams have an executive sponsorship program with big clients and big deals that is meant to have, not just like a a leader voice to be your internal champion, but also to, to be the person to know when to bring you in. You know, you don't have to be involved in every conversation, but if you have somebody who is involved in every conversation who knows and who's willing to like lean on you when you need to, that's like the most valuable thing I think I don't get maybe as often as I would like. And then the other thing is adopting a lot of product marketing practices You know, we're teaching people how to use tools, how to understand processes, how to understand and work within their community at work. And, you know, that's exactly what a product marketer does for a product. You know, we're going to teach you how to use it. We're going to tell you why you want it. We're going to get you to adopt the feature. And I need more help in that department here. I think we all have a need to... I don't want to say like trick people into using things more often than not, but you know, you do, you have to talk people into getting on board with the process. And I, I take a lot of inspiration from how a sales team can partner with other groups who can lend you that expertise.
0: That's
1: That's a great great, answer, Julie. Julie. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Y'all are a good team. I know. (laughs) How lucky are you? (laughs) Very, very cool. Well, let's wrap up our discussion with some rapid fire asking for a friend questions. So I'm going to ask each of you these same questions and just a a quick answer on your opinion about them. Now I'm sweating. I don't do good (laughs) on the the it. So let's start with the question. What icy trend are you hoping to leave behind in 2022? Julie, I'll start with you. Zoom happy hours. Oof. That's it. That's a quick answer. I don't want them. (laughs)
4: I'm
0: done. (laughs) Carolyn, the idea that intranets are dead, I really don't think they are. Apparently. We're doing it the same as we did
5: last year. Doing the same old thing can be beneficial depending on what it is, but I think it's always important to go back, look at it, and try. Try new things. You know, fold in experimentation. I think it's super important.
1: Right. Next question, what can we expect in 2023 in terms of IC trends? And this time I'll start with Carolyn. We're going to start to
0: see the internal comms role starting to be redefined as employee experience. I think we're going to see that starting and it really growing over the next three years, meaning people who were titled internal comms, I think we're going to see the convergence of internal comms, HR comms, and IT people together in one employee experience role. So I think that's going to be a huge shift, we're going to see. We're already seeing it a little.
1: Apparently,
5: Carolyn stole my answer, so I'm just
0: going to say <laughs> ditto.
1: <laughs> That's a good one.
4: Julie? <laughs> uh, I would say digital first planning. I like to remember when mobile websites were like a big thing and the revolution was to design mobile first. I think we as just a general workforce need to think about
1: being digital first in everything we do. Let's move on. What is one skill you think all IC professionals should be really good at? Graphic design. Fairly? I think
5: relationship building. Julie? I'm going to go with experimentation. Mm. Ooh.
1: Next question. How do you see the IC profession changing over the next five years? Carolyn, you addressed what we see the next year, but when you think long-term, what's a big change we can expect or even a little one? And we'll start with Julie this time.
4: I think we're going to start to see a lot more convergence on how people communicate in the rest of their life and how they communicate at work. I think there's a, a real divide in and how we do that, the tools we use, the methods we use, how we receive information that just hasn't made the transfer over to work yet. And I think we're going to start to see things align a little bit more.
1: Oh, that's a great one. Julie, when I was thinking of this question, that was my answer. You got to reach people how they're <laughs> used to being reached. Yeah, it's and, a soapbox. Yeah, we Can't both sort of came finding. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Carolyn, what about you? Yeah, I think we are going to
0: start to see people getting more and more frustrated with using 25 different places to do work. And I think we are going to start to see more holistic platforms coming coming into play hardcore. We cannot expect people to go to 10 different places to get connected, to get informed to do their work. So, we're going to see that change.
5: Okay? Apparently, I think people will continue to adjust their content strategies to how we consume information and meaning, you know, how social media has impacted what internal communications looks like today. And trying to let go of some of those old ways of long form content, we just don't consume it the same way anymore. And that's, that is gonna require a lot of attention and you know adjustment into skill sets that will be really important to this role going forward.
1: Great, last question. What is one piece of advice you each would give a new internal communications professional who's just starting out in their career? Pearly, I'll start with you.
5: Oh, I knew you were
1: gonna come to me first. <laughs> you know, the best
5: piece of advice that I can give somebody just starting out in their career is remembering grace for yourself. I think it's really, really important to to what we spoke about earlier about beating ourselves up and, and, and that pressure to get it right every time. If you can learn to give yourself grace and move on and and learn from that, you will find yourself a whole lot happier in this field and able to contribute, you know, the awesomeness that you bring and the skill sets and the important value that's needed.
1: Great.
4: Julie? I would say find ways to integrate the things that you're passionate about. You know, if you like to bake bread? Is it because you're a little bit of a chemist and you like, you know, the exact mixture of things? We'll find a way to bring that kind of joy into what you do. We have the benefit of having roles that are really broad in skill sets and outputs. And we can, I think, find joy in what we do in
0: really exciting ways. Carolyn? I think my advice would be from day one, build An understanding of how things are prioritized and ruthlessly stick to that and hold other people accountable.
1: Period. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like we could do a whole nother conversation about that because prioritization is something I think everyone struggles with, you know, no matter what department you're in or what role you have. But that's a topic for another day. Y'all, this has been so much fun. It's my first time doing a big panel like this, and I have three amazing guests. Here today, so Carolyn, Julie, Paralee, thank you so much for being here today. Before I let you each go, let's let our listeners know where they can find you and reach out if if they want to. So, Julie, where can our listeners find you? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm one of 5,000 Julie Mullers, but
4: you'll you'll <laughs> know me when you find me. And then, post digital ginger is my handle everywhere else. You can find me on Instagram and Behance and all of the fun things.
1: Carolyn, let our listeners know where they can find you.
0: Yeah. So you can see some of my content on the Simpler blog. So check that out. Go to Simpler.com and look at the resources there. And then of course on LinkedIn, love conversations on LinkedIn. And then my personal website is Clark.com and it has just things I've done and all kinds of stuff. So check me out
1: there. Yeah. I I love, I mean, I clearly follow you on LinkedIn. We're connected, but there's like a handful of people who to me have just reached that status of like when they post something, I kind of actively look it out and you're definitely one of them. So really appreciate it. You always have interesting things you post and and questions you (laughs) ask. Paralise, let our listeners know where they can find you. Best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm probably one of
5: very few paralysis. So I, I shouldn't be too hard to locate there. And m- more to come on the, the simpler blog here headed into the next year. So, really excited to have some content there. So, look for it soon.
1: Okay. Great. Thank you all for joining me today. This has been
2: great. Thank you for listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com.
3: To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review and head over to wwwsimplercom slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to The Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.